0: You are now tuned in to the First Gems podcast, a space where first-generation millennials discover, heal, and share their experiences. Join us as we explore culture, community, and the come-up.
1: On this episode, we are speaking with Tiniola Okunjobi, a multifaceted Georgia native and a first-gen Nigerian. Her story begins in Atlanta, Georgia, and ultimately takes her on an incredible journey throughout the continent of Africa. She is currently a PhD student studying international conflict management at Kennesaw State University. She is also the founder of Intercultural Community Project where her mission is to promote, engage, and bridge intercultural communities. Want to know how she balances it all? Tune in to learn how Teniola is serving diverse communities in both international and domestic settings.
0: Hey, Tanny! Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm Tanina.
2: I'm Kalaria. Anna.
1: <laughs> and you already know me, Tani. Um, <laughs> I'm oh <my> Jada.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, everybody, um, and. Jada calls me Tenny, but honestly, I do like Teniola. So if you can bear it, please try to. I love my whole name. I just let Jada slide because we family. <laughs> um, but I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited to see what we're going to talk about because I have no idea. I like coming to meetings that I didn't have to plan. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> well, we are the first gems. And basically, we're just having conversations with really um, amazing people, and you happen to be one of them. I'm always bragging about you, Tani, Um, You're one of like my favorite people, and I really look up to you. So I really wanted you to do this. So I'm glad you're here.
3: Yeah, anything for you, and of course, your mama would kill me if I didn't do it. So.
1: <laughs> here I She am. was like, "You have to have Tani on there,
3: <laughs> right?" It's just, it's just like. She probably told Jada to big put me on there, but okay. Luckily, I'm not awful, so it's, I doesn't I don't feel like you you were you were forced. Um, oh, but yeah, wow. I'm excited.
1: So um, to yeah. give y'all a little bit of background, um, our moms were best friends, and so um, growing up, I would hear so much about Miss Pam and like their adventures, their crazy stories, and I just always admired like how they were there for each other, and just how. They were like writers like they were great friends like i really admired their uh, relationship and they're also uh the reason why my parents met which ultimately created me and my siblings so shout out to them <laughs> yeah so um as i got older and i started to get to get to know tanny it just was like a lot of things in life made sense you know you know how you like meet someone and you're just like wow like you can just tell like their background like everything kind of fell into place for her so I'm I just want Tani to share her story and talk a little about um a little bit more about like her her upbringing uh your background as a first generational millennial if you can speak on it
3: I do talk a lot, so you might have to, like, pause me, steer me, redirect, ask the question again or something, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I am majored in communications, so here we are, but uh, i Tiniola Ogunjabi, um, Tiniola Duni Ogunjabi, I'm a uh, Yoruba- nigerian american um and i was born and raised in atlanta georgia decatur georgia which is like east side of atlanta i grew up with my maternal side which is my mom's side my mom's a black american from atlanta and my dad was born and raised in nigeria and they met like when she was in a like a a school and uh, he was teaching over at the school and they met and next thing you know um they uh got married and had me but my my dad died when i was really young he died when i was about 3 years old so mm-hmm. when he died um i mean at the time of course you don't know anything that's going on and all i b- basically knew was my maternal family side growing up i really didn't have a strong connection with my nigerian family um and i don't know if that's because i'm my dad's only child or you know, distance wise, um, I knew his brothers, but again, didn't really engage him too much. Um, and then as I got older, uh, got a little curious, a little bit more curious, but also my uncle came to stay in Atlanta, like to live here. Like my mom helped him come over, do his immigration paperwork. And so this is my dad's brother who's here. And I was like a uh, preteen going into, you know, teenage years. And so I met him and then I ended up meeting my grandfather, my dad's dad. He came over. Um, and I would, like I said, meets my, my uncles every so often. my other uncle who had kids who grew up in Nigeria, but they went to university here. And so I kind of like started to link with that family. And, um, I have like, a lot I had a couple of different memories because of pictures um and then because I just remember being young and going somewhere for a while and then coming back and being really odd and people thought I was just like lack of a better term just like savagey or like animalistic I because I'm, I'm I have four brothers and I'm the only girl so already I was a tomboy but then I went somewhere and came back and I remember people were like looking at me all auspicious and like, what's wrong with her? Why is she so like rough or extra rough or something? So I remember <laughs> that, but that's kind of all I remember. And so I saw pictures um, of me being in Nigeria. So I ended up staying in Nigeria for about two years when I was a baby. So from about one until about three, um, when my dad died, I was there and um, kind of didn't understand that backstory, but I did understand that I was I lived there and I had photos and stuff. So as I got older, um, went on, uh, graduated from high school, um, went into college. I majored in journalism, went to Howard University. Howard University is a historically black college university, the HBCU. <laughs> you November know? 12. We don't play those kind of games. But um, anyway, I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C., and just being, I remember uh, growing up and so no one in my, on my maternal side graduated from college. Like My mom went to some uh, school, my auntie went to some college, but didn't graduate. And so I had no real blueprint, um, but I was always put in these like leadership programs and I was able to um, really understand the value of college. And I met people who went to historically black colleges and universities here in Atlanta, like Clark Atlanta and Spelman and Morehouse. This is like a hub for HBCUs here in Atlanta. And so I met those people. And that was why I was able to think of HBCUs first, that it wasn't like a, a H, a colleges and then HBCUs. I thought of HBCUs first. And I looked at Howard because they had a great communications program. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do comps. I wanted to be Oprah Winfrey. I don't know if, if everybody wanted to, but I definitely wanted to be her. And so I um, went to Howard. I ended up going on a trip to visit Howard. And I was so, when I just saw like, a hundred black people coming out of the school of business with suits on and it was like game over and i didn't even major in the school of b i just you saw that like excellence that likes just wow. blackness already
0: visualize it too like
3: it was such a beautiful Dang. scene and i'll probably play it back in my brain like dove flew out of the thing when they <laughs> opened the like yeah. the, the music came because that's how clean they came out the door and everybody came out like in a like gang, like gang
2: gang yeah. <laughs> crazy oh. so, see if I they do promo the- like that I definitely I- yeah, I feel like that's a vibe in D.C. in general, like compared to what at least what I'm used to in L.A., like D.C., the guys out there, the people in general just are just more mm-hmm. professional looking and like they have like professional careers. Not saying that being a creative or like an I artist or rapper that is bad, is that <laughs> like, yeah, it's just more of a professional route that people out there tend to take. Those black
3: men were fine. And I was like, Jesus. Ooh. So, I was like in the 10th grade when I saw that. And I ended up going, like I said, yeah, this is the school I'm going to. I literally was only going to apply to Howard. But of course, my mentor is like, you can't just apply to one school. So, I applied to like Hampton, applied to uh, Miami University, Syracuse, places that had good uh, journalism communications programs. And so, ended up getting into Howard, and I didn't care about anything else. And so, mm-hmm. got there. Um, and it was just, just so, such a great experience. And one of the things that stood out. It's just that um, I, I say that Howard University is like that utopia, that um, that uh, what is it called? African diaspora. It's like that first experience of all types of Africans from all over. And you understand that it's much bigger than black Americans It's much bigger than, you know, what you knew growing up, because I'm from the South, grew up with all black, went to grade school with all black Americans. And you probably might've caught a couple of people from different States, but you never understood that heritage part. Like you didn't know that the person that was down here from uh, New York was also Haitian or something like that. You never knew all of those extra layers. Mm -hmm. And so how it allowed you to really understand that there were so many layers. And of course me walking around with a whole Nigerian name I'm already like branded, all right, you you're Nigerian, here goes a bunch of, it's a bunch of Nigerians. And you found like Nigerians who came straight over from the continent. Then you had, of course, black Americans who were born and raised here, that kind of thing. And so you kind of found your little, like your little your tribe. And I, I honestly didn't end up uh, like gravitating towards like that African union Nigerian group. But I knew about them, and the one thing that probably kept me from it was that because uh, I know Howard, we ha- we have a lot of bougie Negroes, and so <laughs> that kind of that's the experience that I kind of got from a lot of that African Union it stuff. And it wasn't awful; it just wasn't my my crew, and so I I gravitated more towards um, Black Americans from all over the U.S. So I had friends, friends from Cali, um, friends from New York, friends from Detroit. Uh, friends from New Orleans like all the major black cities all of so that's how I was able to go to all the black cities because I now knew everybody from a black from a urban black city so you had LA and Compton right for Cali then you had Detroit then you had Chicago you had uh New Orleans like all of that so just finding out how there was such a layered situation amongst black Americans right right um, you started to peel back and understand again like the origin Nigerian the Haitian I met somebody, I had a real cool friend who was Dominican. And I'm like, how are you Dominican? He was like darker ah. than me. And like, he spoke Spanish fluently. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? I don't understand <laughs> it, right? So you really had to, you learned because you just became friends with all these people. And his whole family spoke, span. and I was like, how, y'all? You, you're you so dark, and you're, yeah. so that's when I started to get the African diaspora, understanding Black heritage, Blackness, and so you just got that deeper layer of it. And so Howard University was definitely like a master class in um, African diaspora, and you also, of course, get enriched in African American history, African history in general, Um, And so, yeah, I just grew deeper and deeper um, in love with with it because I had people were telling me, oh, you went to school, grade school with all these black people. You need to go to like a PWI to experience diversity. But what I really learned after having left Howard and did my master's program was that there was no there was no diversity like that diversity because black people are literally all the layers like we literally can be everything. And it's exactly. not like a, it's not a ethnic, it's not a uh, ethnic diversity. Cause I went to, I went to Cali. I did an exchange program while I was at Howard because I would have graduated like a semester early. So I said, Oh, let me do this exchange. I was either going to do UCLA or UC Berkeley. And I ended up getting doing Ber- UC Berkeley. I get to UC Berkeley and UC Berkeley has 60% Asian, 30% white, less than 5% black and other and all this stuff. Yeah. And it so crazy because the um black students they had like this themed hall, like a uh, basically segregating themselves on these hallways.
0: Right. Yeah.
3: And then they would have like the black student black people's that's this is this be a black student union shit. So yeah. black student union stuff <laughs> they Like yeah. they they're like, Oh, Wednesdays are our days on the yard. I'm like, no, every fucking day is our day. Right. Yeah. How Howard, Howard didn't exclude us to being over here one day at a week anywhere we were and i realized we weren't just we were we were black students at uc berkeley we mm-hmm. were students college students at howard
2: yeah and like, wow
3: Put a different so, going, thing.
2: going back to that though i think the reason why they did that because when i went to uc santa barbara i stayed on a black scholars hall but the black scholars hall which was a hall basically just for the black people in um, santa barbara and at first i'm like why are they trying to like kind of pinpoint us and put us all in one area. But I think the thinking behind it is because we're, there's such a low amount mm-hmm. of us, they're trying to like make sure we all kind of like know we're there. You know what I mean? And kind of like build community amongst uh-huh. ourselves. Otherwise, we kind of just be like in a sea of whiteness and like a sea people yeah. <laughs> exactly not knowing it. what to do. That's exactly
3: I got it. I really understood that part. So it wasn't me saying that you shouldn't do it. It was just me saying like, oh, that's pretty sad though. Because if they went to Howard, <laughs> They wouldn't have had to do that. They wouldn't have All had right. to,
2: you know, group over here into this corner. They would have That's the reality it. of most um, universities that aren't Black universities.
3: Yeah. And that's what yeah. I, I noticed. And I honestly felt pity and not like on the, like, oh, bad for the people who did it. Like, they shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't have gone to these PWIs. It was more of how these universities were not recognizing how their structure, how their whiteness, was just overshadowing this group of people so much that they felt they needed these things. They Mm -hmm. felt they needed to strengthen and protect and rally and stuff. So I thought that was the pity part where universities fail these kids. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I experienced. That's what I I understood from coming from Howard to there. And keep in mind, I only was there a semester, but even in that semester, it was easy for me to like pull that out because I went to Howard. You just don't go from all of that blackness all of that freedom, like that was, I felt really liberated at Howard. So then being like over here in this corner, and so the part of them being segregated and like isolated stood out more so than why they had to do it. And I got, I, I totally got that part. But just understanding that, um, doing that exchange, really helped me understand. Like I said, deepen that understanding of blackness. I went on and did a master's in intercultural relation. So I was also studying culture, studying like um, diversity amongst people. And then I understood how Black diversity was, to me, quintessential diversity, because you could be literally everything and be Black. Like you could be the Black girl who grew up with a bunch of white people. So literally your voice sounds totally different from what I like. Like you would yeah. say, like when people would say, is she white? Like, what's wrong with her? Like, is she like a like valley cute?
1: girl accent?
3: Yeah, exactly. So you get those, you you got those accents. You got the, of course, twang from all of the urban black cities. But I was just noting how that's what I was able to experience and understand. And not that, and, and I wouldn't even, I was then able to understand where you don't call people that you just understand that they had a different experience. So it was like experience diversity, which I mm-hmm. love more so another point i want to point out at berkeley berkeley had um asians 60 percent asian but you would talk to a group of asians and they're like yeah no i'm from the valley like she would clearly look chinese or japanese or whatever she's like no i'm from the valley and she would have her whole valley girl accent and so she didn't identify as this um this first generation blah 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 second no she's like my identity is cali uh, Valley, LA, that's how it was going. So I noticed how while they had visual, exp- uh, ethnic diversity, they mm-hmm. didn't have uh, experience diversity. So you had 60% Asian, but all of the, I would say 80% of the students, 90% of the students were from California. So if that many of the students, and I probably it's probably because of the scholarship or whatever happens with the University of Cali system, but you get what I'm saying, they just kind of piled everybody at a University of California school and these people were already from Cali. And so that then means you don't have that, I had like Cali, New Orleans, you get what I mean? I had Chicago, yeah. I had New
1: York,
3: yeah. straight from the continent. So that's kind of what I noticed and that stood out about diversity, about culture. And it just, I, I grew even more in love with it. And I, I took it on like in my career um, in nonprofit. So, yeah, you know, that's kind of that to, uh, uh, I guess, college age, ages. And then even after college, after Howard, I did um, I did Peace Corps. Um, and then Peace Corps was a part of a, grant. Um, they call it, oh, Master's International. So Peace Corps had a program where you could get a master's. And you could use Peace Corps as your, like, practicum. And so um, I did this program and had never heard of Peace Corps, really. I remember a girl at Howard mentioned it. And she was like, yeah, I'm just going to join the Peace Corps. And she made it seem like a hippy-dippy type of thing. And this, <laughs> was, this was like one of the Black girls who grew up with a bunch of white people. And so I was like, yeah, whatever she's talking about, I don't know. But I remember <laughs> her mentioning it. And then next thing you know, I found I heard of Peace Corps when I was looking at master's programs, and so I went into it. You had to get into Peace Corps, and you had to get into your master's program. And I ended up um, looking at a school in Cali, the UC uh, University of the Pacific. And what I thought was that I had to go live there. So U- University of the Pacific is like an hour east of the Bay Area. I love the Bay. Oakland's one of my favorite because it reminds me of like East Atlanta, um, but. Uh, I, I did this program thinking I had to come live in Cali in that part and then I found out that they give you the degree but your uh, academic your classes and your program is through this um, pro, this institute in Portland so here's this urban black girl went to this Howard University then I go <laughs> ahead and staying in super white Portland and uh, <laughs> like Portland is so white And uh, I went to Portland. I didn't have to stay there like a year or two. It was more of these things called residencies. So you would go there for like a month or two at a time and you would get your classes taught by your professors and then you would turn in um, uh, assignments over a semester. So I did this three times. I stayed in Portland probably collectively maybe three, four months or so. And um, after I did the three semesters of classes, I then was able to do Peace Corps as my fourth semester. And then you were supposed to write a thesis type of project to turn in as your finished product. So it took me about five years in that program because of Peace Corps mixed in with wow. that. And so I did Peace Corps after I finished like some of the classes. And I um, Peace Corps, I was in Mali, West Africa at first. And I went got into it it was like I didn't think I could make a do a Peace Corps situation because you normally see like the REI uh like camping people doing that kind of stuff and I was not that girl so um <laughs> you learn that long as you don't need maybe a curling iron and a whole bunch of makeup every day might <laughs> able to make it through Peace Corps seriously because where you gonna plug in
0: the clock curling iron? Right. You know,
3: electricity, right.
1: exactly. Or,
3: like it was really. People thought it was nice. Like, nah, you, don't, you. I was living in a hut in the village with the sand and. Oh my you god. Bike exactly. So if you can't do that, then it might not be for you. So that's why I laughed. Like I said, okay, I'm. I'm a. I'm a boy, basically. I'm like I can figure. I can work this out. I not to ride a bike, and so I ended up going and living in Mali, and I stayed there for about eight months. Before there was a coup, a coup d'etat, a strike against the government. And then I had to be evacuated out of Mali. And uh, they were saying we were just going to go back home. And then when we got, we had to go to Ghana for a couple of weeks to do like transition. And this was my first time in Ghana. And so I'm in Ghana, get to transfer. They say, oh, there's a couple of options. Senegal became an option for me because i always wanted to stay in sub-Saharan Africa. They had like, you had to align with your sector. I was in the mm-hmm. business sector. And so I ended up aligning ended up going to Senegal, um, and I was in Senegal for the remainder, because Peace Corps is like a 27-month situation. Um, I did seven, eight months in Mali, and then uh, 19 months in in Senegal as a Peace Corps volunteer. And then I ended up staying.
2: Is there a huge difference? Like, I, I feel like you've been to a lot of African countries. Like, have you noticed, like, a huge difference in, like, the vibes of each one? Or is there, like, a commonality that you notice? There are
3: definitely a lot of commonalities um, and a lot of differences. One, because Africa was colonized, of course, and they have Francophone Africa. They have Anglophone Africa. So French-speaking countries, English-speaking countries.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was in Senegal and Mali, and Mali and Senegal are Francophone. So the French colonized them. And so you would notice, of course, language-wise, the differences. But also um, uh, with Mali, Mali was one of the poorest countries in the world so I think it was like at the bottom five so Mali was super super underdeveloped and um really poor and then so in Mali, I had to learn Bambara which is a local language there and I really was able to use my Bambara throughout the country but in Senegal Senegal is considered like the hub of West Africa it's like a Paris of Africa they, they try to say so Dakar is and um they have a lot of NGO headquarters there so you just saw like there was a little bit more infrastructure in Senegal um, there was a lot more nonprofit, uh, heck like I said headquarters and, and people there so you were able to um, notice that difference in development and then around the country you really needed French and so I had to uh, I took classes of French at Howard but Nobody in America teaches you languages like actually going into a country and speaking the language or growing up with the language. Mm -hmm. And so it it was like literally having to learn it all over again because reading French and writing a paper on French is not the same as speaking it. So I had to learn French in in, in Senegal. And so that was to me a difference, like infrastructure, support. Um, And then um, I ended up like going to Ghana and that being an anglophone, So you see their influences by the people who colonized them. Mm -hmm. And so same with Nigeria, they were colonized by the British. So you see, like they celebrate certain holidays. They speak, their English is British English versus American English. And um, even like the school system, like the um, Senegalese school system is like the the French school system. And so you have to, you think about those pieces, right? Um, Infrastructure wise, education wise, uh, language those are all different um even in this is all west africa so i noticed that a, a, a lot what i loved though about um what was similar was that um african people really just you'll you'll see families because i told i lived in the more art like um rural areas and so i was living in a hut or living attached to a family's house that was made out of like this weird um mud mud um is it like, like red
1: like? mud
0: it like reddish yeah
3: it's it's that but it's also just like that it's like a cement of weak version of cement mixed with some mud and and the Mm -hmm. house i mean like the houses weren't made like the way we see cement in america so yeah it wasn't
1: stable like
3: it was not necessarily stable but i mean yeah it could i guess crumble a little bit probably but (laughs) It was, it was just not, it was not firm. Like you could probably punch a hole in something
1: more yeah. so
3: than, than you would here. And I mean, I was living in a straw hut, like, um, in Senegal. So I would it had mud, the mud cement around it. And then it had a straw thatch roof. So, you know, I just, I know like infrastructure was just built like a little different.
1: Did you have um, any concerns at all? Like, or were you just like, I'm, I'm down. I'm just, I'm here. Let's just go off sure. the bike.
3: For sure have a lot of concerns because in developing world, the biggest issue is electricity is Mm -hmm. um, running clean, running water. And so having to go in Mali and walk for, I don't know, maybe it was a quarter mile to go get my water. Like I had to go and take these jugs to get water from a place and bring it back. Mm -hmm. If I wanted water, I would just have to have maybe like four or five jugs. That's why I'm see. listen, it is not for everybody. It's (laughs) like you can't be. Can't be too pretty with it because, again, I was sweating my life away um, yeah. and bike riding in the sand. It was hard. Oh. Um, and I lost a lot of weight and I lost a lot of weight fast. Like in seven months in Mali, I probably dropped 50 pounds and I was like, oh, am I sick? And I didn't <laughs> even know that, that I dropped the weight. And it's because you find out how fake uh, American food is. Versus That's what yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Like,
1: a lot exactly. of people look at Americans and they're just like, oh, you guys are fat, lazy. Like, what is, what is your life about? Yeah. Oh,
3: they're crazy. I'm like, American food, yeah. all the preservatives in the food. It's, it's making it's us sick. sick. It's, it's like crazy. poison. Giving us yes. poison. Yes. It's giving it's-
2: us a health problems. Like, like, yes. all this stuff. It's crazy. It's poison. So
3: just learning about, so I learned about like agriculture a lot. And I also learned about it because in in Peace Corps, you have different sectors. I was able to do business just because I was an assistant manager at Foot Locker. I worked at Foot Locker from like age 16 to 20 to to the end of college. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
3: um, they were like, oh, you got some business experience because you worked at a Foot Locker. And it's because once you get over there, you find out their business uh, is on a really small, basic scale. So as long as you know how to count and literally organize a couple things you're pretty much a much more of an expert than they would have been um or you could add to something like uh one example was i was working with women food transformers and so they would transform this food but they really needed to consider packaging because they would transform this food put all this time into it but then they would um they would, the food was spoiled because they didn't buy the packaging to, you know, seal it correctly and keep it around for a couple of, you know, months or a year. Mm-hmm. So, me helping them mm-hmm. understand how important it was to have enough funding, operational funding, so that you can continuously buy the the wrap, the the, the the sealing wrap. Those are the kind of things that was just really basic. And because you have to realize in a developing world, um, like if poverty is another level. And so, they don't have it where, They can separate operational funds from what they spend because it's like we need to pay for rent. We need to pay for food. So we don't just have a separate account over here for just the the business. And so trying to help them find income generation so that they Mm -hmm. can then separate that. That was one of my goals um, with my work. But I'm just noting how it was basic level stuff. So um, I had different sectors. I was in the business. They had health. They had um, agriculture. Then they had water and sanitation and education. And so I would be with all these people, and it was majority agriculture, um, um water sanitation, uh, health people, because that was like the bigger issues in the country versus like business. And so we, uh, I would just learn a lot more about agriculture. But you would see, like, somebody call me in the beginning. They were like, "She's like a," they call Americans or foreigners tubob, so she's like, "Like she's like a tubob chicken," because I was like, <laughs> "They call it," because they call it that because they. American chicken has a lot of hormones. So you see fat or fatter chickens than what chickens actually look like. So right. when I saw their chickens, I was like, Are their chickens sick? Because right. the chickens look so small. I had never seen such a small chicken. And so in my mind, chickens are supposed to be bigger because we grew up with chickens that are bigger. Mm-hmm. In their minds, chickens are supposed to be smaller because they don't grow with those fat, fake chickens. Right. Yeah. That's what I, I learned quickly about how the food was a lot more natural, pros, let, pro, without all those hormones. And um, I mean, like I said, I just was able to drop weight, even even though you know how African food is—it's heavy on oil, heavy on carbs. But I was eating that every single day and still dropped like 30, 40 pounds out of nowhere. Uh-huh. And so that shows you that the same Af- Nigerian food and African food that I'm eating over here is has less preservatives. It's better for you while eating it over there and so that's why i would tell people i'm like i'm not ever coming back here because Uh i don't want to work out uh and i don't want to have to do all you you still supposed to work out but you get what i mean like you don't have to work overtime we have to work so hard because american food is
1: working against us um and so we were actually told that growing up. Like, I, I remember my dad always telling us, like, oh, this McDonald's that you're eating. Like, they, and I'm, I'm like, man, but I really understood that when I would go back and see like the food. And you're right, like, with the There's African no and having to walk everywhere, you're constantly drinking water because you're hot. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just like natural, but here you're so used to um your like your fruits aren't supposed to last that long and then yeah. you don't have time to work out because you're always working and yes. so. that's also like a ploy
0: how they can get us to overwork and work overtime because everything is quick and everything is so accessible, right? So yeah. when you have things faster, you're able to utilize that time to other things. So there's yeah. no there's like no sense of like empathy for you having to take the time to do things because things are so easily accessible here. Due to technical issues, some of the conversation was cut. After Taniola discusses her life in Senegal, she leads us into how she met her husband and life partner. Now let's get back into the episode.
3: I met my husband while I was in Peace Corps. I um, I ended up having a friend that went to Howard with me. He was a Nigerian guy. And he reached out about um, like him having some type of ceremony, something like party or something in Nigeria. And I was thinking like, ooh, I got vacation coming up and I, I could just go to Nigeria. I haven't been there as an adult. And so he invites me over to Nigeria and mind you, I'm Nigerian, but I needed to get a visa because I didn't have a passport since I was a baby. So all that expired. So I go to the Nigerian embassy in Senegal in Dakar and i'm filling out my paperwork and uh waiting on the guy to take my paperwork but i filled it out and this guy comes in and he's like chatting it up joking with the people at the front desk and he like looks over at me like he's like what are you he's telling the guy that works at the front desk like why do you got these people waiting and he comes over and jokes with me like what is he having you waiting for and he's talking to me in french and my french isn't great but it's enough to communicate to you like um yeah just trying to get a, a visa and um he's like why does your french sound like that and i said because i'm not french and then i start to speak in english and then he starts to speak in english and so it's just like some little annoying guy that's like in my business like looking at my 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 visa application he's like hey why are you messing with this girl her whole name is nigerian why she even got a in line and he cracks that joke then i'm just like okay whatever let me go back to my business so i go put in my visa application and then the next, they normally tell you to come back in three days, but this guy tells me, oh, uh, come back the next day to pick it up. And so I come back the next day to pick up my visa. And this same guy comes in randomly <laughs> to drop off. Uh, cause he was working as a, um, cause he just like consults with people to, cause he, he was a, a linguistics person though. So he spoke, um, French, he spoke Wolof, he spoke, he's the Igbo Nigerian. So he uh, is there dropping off some paperwork for a guy and then I see him again and he's, I guess he notices me and I didn't really notice him, but he comes over and um, he acts he leaves, but then he comes back, he, you know, he, he left and came back and he asks me for my contact and I'm just like, contact. Oh, he's like asking for my number. Cause I, I hadn't been in a situation where somebody like tries to holler at you. So that's how I ended up meeting this guy who wanted to, cause he's like, "Oh, you got your visa now, so you're about to go to Nigeria." He's like, "He's like, well, you're American. Let me um put you up on Nigerian food. Mind you, I didn't eat all the Nigerian food. I just am playing along. You know how men want to think they they showing you something." <laughs> so he he texts me. I, I ended up um co- co- like connecting with him, and we went to a Nigerian restaurant. Cause I'm like, "Oh, where is this Nigerian restaurant in Senegal?" Cause I hadn't heard of it. And so we go to a Nigerian restaurant and we're eating like a goosey. and he's just like, that tastes really good. Huh? you like, you never had that before. And I'm like, I've had all of these, food, all of these stews, Right. Exactly. And so he's just like thinking he put me on to something. And that's how I met him. Like I met him on December 12, 2012. And then we go on this like date and then I go to Nigeria for like the holiday Christmas holiday. And um, he calls me while I'm in Nigeria. And I'm thinking, who's this random guy? I know the phone call is expensive, so he must really like me. And then I come back, and then we end up dating in January. Like, oh, we can get together and date. And then he asks me to marry him, uh, like, a couple weeks later. And I'm thinking, of course not. That's crazy. Like, (laughs) nobody gets married like that. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And I, of course, am just like, no, basically. And I'm like, can we just be like boyfriend and girlfriend first? You haven't, we haven't even been that. Like we were date, like you take, you meet me when I come back and we go on another date. And then it's like, what? Damn. so he, uh, he asked me to marry him in that, like February 2nd. And then, um, I went to Paris for my 25th birthday. Cause that was like a dream. Like, um, go to Paris, experience the Paris- Parisian life as a black woman. And I, I'm there, and I have this dream that I'm gonna marry him on August second. And so I tell him this, and I get married to him on August second, the same year. So I married wow. him. I met and married him in eight months. And so wow. it was. I realized like it's the it's the culture, the societal culture of America yeah. where we we date people for what four, or five years, ten years yeah. before we get
0: married. <laughs> Crazy, like, um,
3: but but that's kind of how like it, it it is it's a real uh, weird thing where you have to um consider you know what are you what is society having you do versus what is reality and i'm like this nigerian guy when i tell you that they, they i tell people i'm like i don't care if it was juju i was done for like they <laughs> will fly in, and you next thing you know you're in love and yeah boom. um so that's kind of like have now having a um being in an intercultural marriage whereas i of course am immersed in a lot of american culture black american culture and he was born and raised in nigerian culture but he had lived in senegal for 10 years and like this man is fluent in four languages and just kind of like really worldly because i feel like everybody growing up outside of america and maybe like uh france or a couple other first worlds they really understand world culture world history we on the other hand, only understand like American culture, American history. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really just gravitated towards that piece. And I kind of felt full circle where I grew up this girl that didn't have such a Nigerian, a big Nigerian tie, although I grew up with this name, people would kind of assume it. And like align me with uh, first gen immigrants who had both parents that were born and raised there. And, you know, joke about it, because you remember, it really was like, a we weren't, they didn't love us back in the day. Now, all uh-huh. of a sudden, they love us and so he's now in the culture in a time where they love like the nigerian like the culture blink they love it now the i say flavor.
1: They,
3: yeah they love it's like y'all just want y'all just want the style you want to smell like nigerian yeah. like the aesthetic the yeah, yeah. Now, now our music
0: now yeah. our music is blowing up and everybody is so she, and i'm like yeah. okay. so, now, so now we're hot and it's like well we've been hot like right what? y'all just didn't what? know it
3: y'all just didn't know <laughs> Or you were just such... You were hating so much that you just could not take it. And I realized, like, Americans, specifically, like, white people, they gravitated towards international, like, Black internationals. Black, uh, non-Black Americans. Because you'll Mm -hmm. still see where they still have huge hate for Black Americans. But they... Um um they they embrace because I work I've been working with refugees and immigrants in nonprofit work. They they embrace the non-American. They you're saying like dang they love these um you know Central Africans, Southeast Asians, they love the East Africans because it's more of like a needy situation where oh they had to flee from uh you Mm -hmm. know and so now they come over here and we get to like white save them. So they love that part. But they yeah. really don't. They still don't love black people, black American, black culture for real. So you're seeing that wave. But um, I really just like I said now being married to a Nigerian, um, having a whole like, um, you know, in law side over like Igbo Nigerians. I mean, sorry, yeah, Igbo Nigerians, and then I'm the Yoruba. and then my stepdad, my mom ended up marrying another Nigerian after she, my dad died, and he was Oguni. So. I have three tribes that I blend in with and, you know, have family with when I go to Nigeria. And so it's been a real uh, intentional thing on my part to go to Nigeria regularly, Um, literally go every year. I didn't go last year because because of COVID, but Jada Jada and I had just come back from from Ghana, Nigeria, 2019.
0: How long do you go for? I don't do for almost a month because uh yeah. I mean the I've been kinda, I definitely that's a goal for me but I find it challenging um when it comes to like work situations mm-hmm. and like explaining that like having to explain that I, I I was able to do it one time but I think I was only like cleared to go for like a week uh, no I think it was like a little over a week but it was so not worth it because the amount of time it took me to travel there like it was, it just you, was not you, you worth some, going
3: for a week to just get even regulated, right? Yeah,
0: just you, to get my schedule like back. Mm-hmm. So that's one things that I found challenging. It's hard to explain to people who don't have that perspective that like, this is like an important, like, um, family, but I'll, I'll reiterate what I said. Um, this is like an important, like family, like, tradition and custom to be able to go back yearly see my people you, need to,
3: you have to um yeah. I, I tied it in with like um because holiday time is normally a good celebratory time where everybody cooking yeah. and you gonna always have some food because I mean they do that in general but in the Christmas time like the holiday mm. like Christmas to New Year's that's when it's really heavy. Um, and so I've gone in between those times and I've gone in the summer. Those have been like um, open season times. And I'll note like, I am um, working in nonprofit, I've had a little bit more flexibility, um, more so in the last couple of years than before. I'm a um, director at a nonprofit. And so just being at the level I'm at, too, where I run the team or I make my schedule or it's like, I'm getting these, <laughs> these, these vacation days. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's like, you're going, this is I'm off asking for this in my contract type of thing yeah. at this level. So mm-hmm. I feel like it'll, like you know, it'll, it'll be different. And then like I've worked in education. And so for example, when I was at a school for refugee girls, they're out in the summer. I still work, but if I'm gone for three weeks, nobody's tripping or a month because they aren't in actively in school the active school yeah. period is when like the heavier you know um parts of my job you know happening so you gotta think about it like that I feel like there's a way around it and for me I always tell people the end game is to really uh die on the continent we're finishing our house over there um I'm not planning to ever you know not be there I'm planning to raise my children over there because they gotta mm-hmm. this American culture will have you jaded y'all know where yeah. it's like, what you say to me <laughs> uh, <laughs> you need to you need to go over like let me take you to a place where when I beat you it's gonna be okay and not right. really beat I didn't even get beat growing up but you know what I'm saying like you need to be able to just like maybe pinch them or something like don't play with me
1: but out here uh, you it's get abuse. locked up
3: <laughs> let me tell you like I think that being able to get a little pinch here and there is not a problem I do not condone like full-on beatings because I never got to be like my mom probably Hit me tw- I agree. One, two, one. I do not condone. Yeah, I do not condone beating. I don't think that's a necessary thing. But the thing is, if you actually have it where their mind is right, like if you like my mom sending me over when I was a kid for a couple of like two years and then having me really clear on the fact that, you know, this was this life and this was this life, making sure I ate Nigerian food, making sure I was able to see my uncles because she could have just disassociated with them after my dad. Right. But. I felt like she was able to keep me tied on just enough. And then my curiosity really took it to the next level because I took myself to Nigeria. Like it wasn't like an invite from my relatives and I went and they paid yeah. for things. Like no, I I'm going cause I want to know. So, and that ended up me bumping into my husband and now it's like, well, we definitely going. And because he was born and raised there and both of his parents are Nigerian and yeah it's a wrap the kids are definitely going <laughs> and yeah. it's like if mom will come and get the kid and be the help they'll be there every summer <laughs> um she I would send my kids over for a couple of years because yeah. that's that's the formative years where you're trying to learn languages and stuff so I'm really just intentional about trying to build an intercultural life and more specifically on the continent I love African culture um I'm not a fan of going everywhere but Africa I'm not a fan yeah. of, of of popularizing all of the places exi- outside of Africa because they they try to pick, uh, depict it as this poor developing world, and it's like Africa's rich. It's on. It's, it's been lit. exploited. It's
0: it's rich and, I love and that. It's that fun. should be on a shirt. Africa is rich and lit. Yeah, it's like it really is. It's
3: like, are y'all crazy? That's where all the flavor comes from. That's where all the resources are coming from. And so, if you understand the history, if you and I, I would say I'm way more um cool than because I had to, I lived there. Had mm-hmm. I just gone just for vacation, I might have not gone deep enough. But having lived, I lived in um like 27 months in, in, in Peace Corps, but I also did an extra two years. So I lived there almost five years. So I was there in the culture, experiencing um, Africa, experiencing Senegal, experiencing Mali, going over to Nigeria, doing Ghana for you know about four, five years. And like I said, I go back now every year. It's like a must, I, I'll go to other places. And when I do go to other places, like other developing worlds. Um, so I go to and then when I go to those developing worlds I'm finding the black culture there so I went to Belize with a friend and you find out that they have the black Garifuna, Garifuna people and the Garifuna people are actually Nigerians, Nigerians. They, yeah they, you know the ship crashed and they were over in there so then you know I go there. I go to Belize looking for black people I go to of course I'm um I was in uh you know you want to go to all of the all of the world. I was in
1: Cuba. Oh, black Cuban. Like you just We were just out. in Haiti and like a lot of the it was a lot of similarities too. People were asking us like, oh, how's Nigeria? I'm like, it's just like this. <laughs> I There's no difference.
3: So oh, that's what I love about it. Like it's such a connection. Um, and I and I'm I, I want to travel to every country in Africa. I'm not trying to yeah. travel to every country in the world. I used to want to do the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I want to be on every continent by 30. And I'm like, once i went to nigeria or once i went to Bethany, yeah. like, I
0: that's all you need yeah that's like travel everywhere i can in africa like africa yeah. well i i like to say like south america too and caribbean just all where the black blacks are Yeah. i love black people like yeah. i want to go where all the black people at i want to go <laughs> where
3: flavor is the food because that's my favorite foods african food caribbean or jamaican specifically food um and so i just find us to be so similar in a lot of ways and then That's you kind true. of even think about like asian cultures where we love rice they love rice yeah we're collectivists, they're collective so there's mm-hmm. a lot of similarities it's been this colonization it's been this racist culture that has tried to separate us and divide us in ways um and pit people against each other because i always tell people about like the black american and the african divide or that kind of clash and just being a black american nigerian american who's married to an african you know i am able to really understand where that difference is where they kind of will see us sometimes taking certain things for granted or us seeing them as feeling they're more superior in this and that because they're like pure without having had slavery history it's a bunch Mm -hmm. of stuff tied into it but I, um, I think that that was all, of course, by design to keep us divided and not mm-hmm. have collaborate. Like, there should be lots of Black American and African marriages and unions and attachments because that's a, a good, sure way to really reconnect people to the continent,
2: you yeah, know, because
3: Black Americans were disenfranchised. And so just thinking about all of that. um But yeah, I've, I've been able to t- make those ties. I've been able to really, um you know, Hone in on this connection that I have directly to the continent, just being uh, Nigerian and having like literally being a, a, a African American, like a Nigerian and American, having both of those cultures really ingrained in me, but also choosing the African culture. Like I choose Africa every time. It's like hmm. Africa over everything, um, because that is like the way um, the world engages and loves on and invests in and supports and travels to and understands Africa, it's literally gonna be what is gonna determine the future for yeah. African people, like people of African descent. So i really big on, don't let these people fool you. Your place is over there. Yes, yeah. you've never been, That's the, the continent is ours. And so, don't let them tell you otherwise because that is the goal. Because you think about it, they will tell you all this National Geographic mumbo jumbo about Africa, <laughs> meaning like it's all like uh, rural and underdeveloped and poor and this and that. Um, but you will go to Nigeria, you will go to Ghana, and they will be flooding the hotels like white people. And mm-hmm. so, you're trying to figure out if they're telling you mm-hmm. that it's this awful place and you shouldn't go there, why are you, John Smith? in africa in nigeria in ghana in senegal right and even like you know china's just taking over in in africa so it's just a lot of people where you're like why are we the only people not seeing the value um in our culture in our in our continent and so that's what i'm i'm really um i'm really intentional about that i even did started a nonprofit, um intercultural communities project to really be able to push education towards people you know help them with uh, culture experiences because I always say it's not that people don't necessarily want to go they just don't have a tie to it like if they don't know a me if they don't have somebody who has a tie a family tie there they'll go as like a tourist and maybe not have a good experience right or mm-hmm. they maybe will not go and experience like deeper level culture when they go
1: and so yeah, I they really- might go to like a festival or something yeah. like if someone's having a wedding
3: they may you should you should be able to go and tie into people's like cultural events and tie into people's heritage, like learn about a, a Nigerian family's history and culture, and stuff so that type of stuff. Just you know, set it off for me. So I'm just I'm I'm really an advocate for. it. So that'll literally be like life goals for me. When I mm-hmm. finish my house over there and I'm living over there, maybe half of the year or regularly for a couple of years, I'm mm-hmm. inviting to as many people as a possible. So you because yeah. you want them to get into it
0: yeah I I love that I really really love that that's so true like I I love what you said about dying on the continent too and um I man we have so much I feel like we need to do like a part two because all of this is really uh like really really great really insightful and um like I know that we can definitely dig deeper I usually after every episode we usually like to wrap up with a gem Um, so we'll each go around and give a gem that our, um, our viewers and listeners can use, um, based on what we talked about. So
1: I always learned a lot from Tenny. Like she mentioned that we went to, we were in Nigeria and Ghana together. So I was getting all this information on a daily basis. (laughs) It was very motivational. So, um, I really wanted you guys to like, just get to know her a little bit better and to share her story as well. Um, But part of my inspiration for love in Africa comes from Tani, like, really. Um, We went in 2016, that first time that we went as adults, and that kind of, like, awakened something in us. So it's become a priority to me. So prioritize getting back to your roots, you know, at any cost. I know like that first year that I went back as an adult, um, I was working at a really good job and I told them that I wanted to take this amount of time off. And I just quit because I was like, if y'all not going to give me this time off, I'm about to go be with my people. I don't care. So um, every year I make it a priority. I love being from Africa. I love being Nigerian. I love my family. And all of that is priceless. You can't put a price on it. I, I would give up any job, any whatever. I, I want to go home. Bye. <laughs> That's where I'm going to be at. So my gem is to
4: prioritize your roots, prioritize
1: getting back to
4: where you need to be at home. Yeah. Uh, with Taniola, I mean, it's always just a pleasure. I know I we've crossed paths multiple times and like, even, well, we didn't get into like Peace Corps history and whatnot, but a lot of our experiences similar. So I think a lot of the outcomes and philosophies are also the same. And I really appreciate just like, like your journey overall, and really trying to bring and put Africa on the map and the continent on the map for people. And so I think for me, and just for everyone else, a gem would be like, um, stick to the vision of like, like building bridges and connecting people um, because that could be through travel, through culture, through learning a different language. I feel like those experiences, specifically the Peace Corps and living on the continent, have single-handedly been those experiences that, that like made me who I am. And that's also yeah. like continuing to look at people and be like, "Oh, you're a first-gen. This, you're a first-gen." Like that's how we created this platform because we're yeah. building bridges and connecting with people. So um, that's definitely a mindset. That's a gem. Thank you.
0: I would say while we talk about a lot, but I would say that your experience in life doesn't have to be so like one dimensional. I would say, look into ways that you can, I've been saying this a lot, this phrase, like, I want to have like a colorful life. Like I want a lot of different experiences. I want to immerse myself in different things, try new things. Like you don't have to do what you're doing right now. If you really, really think about it, you don't have to like, Let's say you're here in the U.S. You don't have to just stay here and just be so tied to here. So I say, like, get out there and have more of a colorful life. Add a little bit of color to your life. Add a little bit more experiences. Push yourself to learn more about different cultures, traditions, and things like that.
1: I love that. So y'all are... uh
3: I'm thinking like y'all gotta all be younger than me. I'm I'm assuming. But I was like, ooh, y'all got some really uh good gems um dropping, and I'm thinking, dang, they took a lot of good stuff. Um, because I'm just big, my um, I would say my mantra. I really just look at trying to live uh, a life where I'm not only. It's one of my favorite quotes by by Maya Angelou, where she just talks about um. Basically, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, um, some humor and some style. And so I'm big on living a really intentional life and living it at level like thriving levels. And I would to, I would say the gym is to really uh, define what thriving is for you, what success is for you and and really go about it in that unique way because a lot of people get bogged down by what a societal norm is and I just kind of want to debunk those and throw those out the window because there's really no such thing it's really about you as an individual um understanding who you are because I I think self-awareness like know thyself self-awareness is the biggest thing so that that involves you getting into every aspect of your heritage every aspect of your culture you digging deep intentionally like I I didn't have it where it was just in my face or both of my parents were allowed to force it down mm-hmm. my throat it was more of like I want to get into this I want to yeah. know more so I found a way and so really being intentional in every aspect of your life uh to be able to know who you are to embrace who you are and really be intentional about being around people who only around people who will allow you to be that person like I'm in a career where I'm not forced into a box and even when I was they tried to force me in the box I quit. I rebelled. Yeah. I, you know, wrote the board of directors. And so I would say, really be able to um, know yourself enough and, and resist that, that, that um, societal norm, and um, really create whatever the norm is for yourself. And and really be intentional about living that life towards that success towards that, that thriving, um, however you've defined it. And so um, that involves just really getting into, like I said, culture, for me, it's like culture is the center of everything. And so yeah. being able to get into the culture intentionally whether it's your culture other people's culture um learn more about culture and um you know really allow it to guide you because I think it it has so much more it has so much to offer you um culture does and so I would say um everybody is consistently uh centering culture your culture the other cultures adapting to other cultures learning about other cultures integrating into other cultures marrying into other cultures don't be um just kind of don't don't let that pass you by don't don't allow your comfort of knowing one culture and staying in that culture keep you from exploring and really getting into it so be intentional
1: yes definitely yes well this has been a wonderful conversation thank you so much for joining us um we learned so much about culture about your life um, about your journey i'm excited about your journey to motherhood I can't wait to see how this baby is going to be. It's going to be the most lit baby <laughs> ever. I'm so excited for you. Like, you're going to be an amazing mother. I'm, I'm proud of everything that you've accomplished thus far.
3: Thank you. I'm really proud of you, ladies. I, I really appreciate these conversations because somebody's got to keep the dialogue on that tradition, oral tradition. So, you yeah. know, kudos to you, you all for doing that. And I wish you luck on this this journey and just in life, you got so much to look forward to. Don't trip about not being married or being with your partner just yet. I don't <laughs> know, I don't know how I stumbled across mine. Um, <laughs> I will say I stumbled across them in the world, so you got to get yeah. out there. So don't yeah, definitely. And staying, you know, so go on those trips. You might meet your husband in Jamaica. You might meet whoever <laughs> you, or partner who you're into. But I'm just noting yeah. that that's where you're going to meet them i literally randomly bumped into mines in a place that i probably i was never supposed to be getting a visa cuz i was supposed to already have paperwork so you think mm-hmm. about how fate works out so think about that think about getting into the world and y'all gonna, y'all going to be good y'all already y'all you know y'all already headed there y'all y'all got some good heads on your shoulder i'm now uh confident that jada is going to be going places cuz she got a little crew that actually got something here and is influencing her really well so I'm
1: grateful so. oh thank you so much Tenny. they always been here but we get more into it like our travel adventures and stuff like that thank you mm, yes Tenny is actually superwoman out in these streets if y'all haven't
0: yes wait Taniola Tenny, where can um viewers listeners um find you connect with you like what what are upcoming things that you want you know want to promote let people know about
3: i'm on social media but i also have a website um for my nonprofit intercultural communities project so you can check out um interculturalproject.org and that will kind of keep up with events that i um promote because basically i'm i'm working to uh promote build bridges and sustain intercultural communities which for me is mostly in african cultures um and i'm providing like intercultural education cultural um cultural exchange experiences um community engagement empowerment leadership skills i'm i've I've trained groups of people who are working with people from multiple uh like places like it's it's really a difference in working with people from monocultural monolingual places and so just having had that experience and now built that expertise and that training, I do that kind of work. Um, I'm currently in a PhD program and it's intercultural—it's our international conflict management. So I'll be at a level to be able to train those internationally working with people from different cultures. And so I'm just positioning myself in that way. I'm on social media. My social media is uh, Miss Ambitious with a Z, so MZ Ambitious, because I really do reach. For, Very fitting. And then, uh, I have a social media page for my, um, my nonprofit, which is in a cultural community. So you can find me on face, uh, Instagram and Facebook and yeah, I'm always available. You can, my emails on, on my website and I'm always, I'm just, I like encouraging people. I mentor people and I don't necessarily always have the time, but I think it's so necessary. So I do that. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Tenny, for joining us again. We've learned so much from you and, you know, I love you.
0: Thank you so much. I don't want it to cut off on us, So that's good. Yeah.
4: And that's a wrap. Wasn't this episode fire? (laughs) You want more gems? Follow us on socials at the first gems. Catch you on the next one.